Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times with instant analysis of AEW Double or Nothing. Huge pay-per-view coming from All Elite Wrestling. Joining me today, Chris Benini, my normal co-host on the WWE shows. Chris watches AEW all the time. He stayed up to watch this particular pay-per-view, and we're going to break down everything that happened on Double or Nothing on this show. But folks, if I am being completely honest, the Silver King is absolutely exhausted right now. That was a long-ass pay-per-view coming at the end of a long-ass Saturday for me. I don't know, Chris, if you feel the same way. Um, you know, I didn't necessarily love that WWE gave us two hours and 30 minutes with Money in the Bank, but I will say two hours and 30 minutes is preferable to like 3.45, not counting the kickoff show, um, especially when you haven't left your house all day. So that's how I feel. I don't know about you. Did you feel it ran long? Are you tired? I, I did feel it ran long. I'm thankfully on Central Time, also known as God's Time. So I'm still pretty uh, awake and everything, although I did spend most of my day working on the yard. So uh, physically, I'm right there with you. There's one time zone that matters, and it is the Eastern time zone. Do not fool yourself about that. Uh, but look, speaking of time, let's not waste much more of it because I do want to break down everything that happened on this show. And before I get to that briefly, a quick reminder, follow us on Twitter if you don't already, at Getting Overcast. If you're a longtime listener, or you love this show, which I know you're going to this episode, head on over to Apple Podcasts, five-star ratings and reviews. I'm telling you, I'm exhausted. I'm slurring words already. I haven't had a single beer or anything tonight. I'm just absolutely exhausted. It's like 12, 10 a.m. Um, uh, so yeah, five-star review, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, whatever, wherever you listen to Fine Wrestling Audio. And tell a friend, share the show, You know, let people know, hey, I watched AEW. Check out this, you know, recap. My favorite wrestling show, please listen to it. I would appreciate it. Chris would appreciate it. I want to grow this show and you guys can help us do that. Okay, let's get into AEW Double or Nothing. And Chris, we have to start with the main event, with the stadium stampede. Now, going into this match, I was excited, right? I knew it was going to be AEW's version of basically a boneyard match is what I expected, meaning it was going to be theatric. Um, it was not going to be straight wrestling. And it was going to be something that would be extremely entertaining, but not for the wrestling purist. And I think ultimately that's what they delivered. And I do eventually at the end of our conversation, I want to compare it to WWE's theatrical matches and kind of see, maybe we'll rank them even and see where it goes. But while I was excited about the match, I was displeased going into it on the pay-per-view that they didn't tease it all night. I thought they would have promos. They would show the guys warming up in the locker rooms. Maybe they were in the, maybe Jericho in the inner circle would be in the owner's box watching the rest of the show. I know it was pre-taped, but you can still make all those things happen. Um, so I, I was a little upset that for a main event that was going to be so unique and so special that they didn't do enough over the rest of the show to let you know that was coming. If you look at, again, WWE Money in the Bank just as a comparison, all night they propped up the Titan Towers, basically, WWE headquarters, and how cool and unique this match was going to be. And as a viewer during the show, it got you really excited. So for me, off the bat, that was a slight demerit. That's a good point. I had actually a couple times forgot. I had to check, look up the card to see everything that was on. And, and I sometimes forgot that that match was going to happen exactly for that reason, because there wasn't stuff building up to it. I actually didn't realize it wasn't 
live like the rest of the show until the Matt Hardy segment, which we'll get into. <laughs> and I, I'm very curious to hear as we get to the end of this, the comparison between Money in the Bank and this, because a couple weeks ago we talked about it. you were really you were quite down on the Money in the Bank match. Well, uh, oh, well, sport. I liked it and we'll we'll we'll, we'll compare them. But I, I, I'm curious to see what your thoughts are as this conversation goes on, considering the one we had a couple weeks ago. Well, well, I'll just say this spoiler alert, this shit on Money in the Bank. And uh, the question for me, the comparison is really the Boneyard match and the Firefly Funhouse match. But compared to Money in the Bank, this was far better, at least, again, for me. And that that is not a definitive opinion, meaning that I would respect if others feel differently. So, you know, sometimes I don't always respect when others feel differently. But in this particular case, I would. But let's talk about this match. And by the way, for anyone that is listening at the top of the show, we will give our full grade or full thoughts on the pay-per-view in its entirety at the end. Once we talk about the last matches and for some of the smaller matches on the card, we'll only spend a couple minutes. But for the stadium stampede, it is something I feel like we need to discuss at length. Uh, I love I love the entrances right off the bat. Uh, the foot, the inner, the inner circle wearing football uniforms. It is so inner circle, right? They are a faction that is both badass and simultaneously can poke fun at itself and be the, the heel group that, you know, funny, obscure, uh, things can happen and it doesn't dent them. It doesn't diminish their prominence within AEW and for them to just come out in matching jerseys with like mini kind of pads in them. Um, it was just so funny. It was so Chris Jericho. There's no doubt in my mind that was his idea. I loved the entrances with the fire and the smoke, the painted end zones for each quote unquote team. I kind of wish they showed a little bit more time, spent more time showing the entire setup. But just before the match even began, it felt important. Um, was there maybe a little too much Jacksonville Jaguars there? Yeah, you know, maybe, especially coming from someone who's a Dolphins fan. Uh, but it's their stadium, and they allowed them to use it, I'm guessing for free or for a very low price. Uh, so, you know, I was okay with that. But but I did think that for as grand as it was, what WWE succeeded doing with Money in the Bank is they made it feel like there is this huge building with all these floors, and it's crazy, you know, all this stuff's going to happen. Whereas for the stadium, they're just like, all right, we're on the field. So uh, they must have really put a lot of that money into the smoke budget because, man, that was a lot, <laughs> was of, smoke a lot of smoke coming out of those smoke machines. <laughs> a lot of smoke, yeah. <laughs> and I, I thought the jerseys were a little bit corny. I thought running out with the cheerleaders and everything was a little bit corny, and I was like, I wasn't sure what to expect. Actually, it kind of lowered my expectations a bit going in. And then uh, and then things got going, and it, 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 you could tell it was going to be fun. I, I really didn't know what to expect from this. I didn't know where in the stadium they were going to be having all those cheerleaders and mascot and, and people everybody around the thing was, was interesting it was a really good setup and speaking of you know wwe talked about all the different floors and stuff like that they were working within confined areas and i really got to say the aw camera people did a really good job of not making this feel like they're in a giant empty stadium camera yes. shots were pretty tight you yes. didn't see you didn't see swaths of empty seats there uh, your your eyes were always focused on things that were, were were close in front of you, and it made it feel a lot just more. It made the environment feel a lot more doable compared to. I mean, AEW made an empty football stadium sound more uh, cozy than the perform than WWE makes with the Performance Center. Uh, the, the silence in there is, is such a problem, and also they were pretty pretty sure they were piping in live crowd reaction. They were. 
to yeah. your audio. I don't know if it was people watching in daily on the place screen or on the exactly screen. what, yeah. but that yeah. added a lot. And it, we've talked a lot about how the silence for WWE has always felt like it's been a problem. And AW has always had some wrestlers on the outside just to fill in some of that sound. And I think that made a big difference. I think just the whole setup, everything involved in that in terms of setting up the match, I think it was really, really well it, done. It does. And, but again, this goes back to something that I, I talked about at the very beginning of all this empty arena stuff, um, which was AEW compared to WWE has an inherent advantage here. Daly's Place, the type of venue that it is, being an outdoor venue that is meant to host events, right? It's a, it's a, it's a amphitheater. Okay. So it has crowd seats. It, it is outdoors. So people can space out. Uh, they say that confined spaces are worse for transmission of coronavirus than being outdoors. Uh, so because of airflow and for numerous other reasons. So just by nature of that, the fact that Daly's Place allows you to have pyro, um, it, it, the, the stage and the, the screen can be more grand and larger. And then on top of that, having the stadium and having the ability to hold matches in a venue like that, again, those are just inherent advantages that even if WWE ran at full sale, full sale is still not really an arena. It's just something that NXT kind of is making work for their needs, you know, with the university. But the Performance Center, I've been to the Performance Center on three different occasions. It's a workout facility. It's a training facility. I mean, the ceilings are higher than, you know, your normal gym, but it, it, it there's nothing in there. So what WWE has been able to successfully accomplish in making that look like an actual TV arena, it's pretty spectacular. But you're right. Something that we've discussed on the show numerous times is the, the, the ability to have some noise or not even that for noise not to be trapped between four walls. That allowed Daly's Place and the stadium to feel better, even if there were no fans. But but WWE, they need to add some type of ambient noise or or something. They got to figure something out because you're right. The silence is deafening and it does ultimately hurt the product. But let's talk about Stadium Stampede and let's talk about AEW. Um, so, yes, the venues, the venue was fantastic. You're right that the camera uh, the camera work, and they had a number of cameramen, obviously, there for that match. It just made it feel tighter and more intimate. You're 100% right. Uh, you know, right off the bat, uh, when it started, you kind of had to come in with one of two minds. Either you knew it was going to be a tongue-in-cheek professional wrestling match, or you may have gone into that thinking, man, this is going to be like a drag-out fight on a football field. I came in with the, the former. Now, kind of going in when you compare it, going into the Boneyard match, I didn't know what to expect. I was I was thinking, this is going to be a regular wrestling match. They're not going to treat it in any corny way or whatever. And it wasn't. They gave us an action movie. Money in the Bank, I knew what to expect. So maybe that is why my expectations were not filled, because I saw the success they had with Boneyard. I saw the success they had with Firefly. But again, Stadium Stampede, it's how I felt going into Boneyard, which was, I don't know what they're going to do here. But I think it's going to be somewhat funny because you do have Adam Page, whose gimmick, while somewhat serious, it, you know, they've used it to comedy effect. Kenny, who is can be hysterical, Sammy and Chris Jericho, no question about them. So and also the way they did the street fight a couple of weeks ago kind of told me the direction they were going to go. 
And they paid it off pretty early because they had Hangman Page flying on a horse, chasing Sammy Guevara. And that was, to me, hysterical. I thought it was going to be the moment of the entire show. I did not think that this would get better than that because it was a really good use of comedy. And later I'll, I'll mention a bad use of comedy. But I just thought it was a great way to start. And yeah, I mean, even the brawl in the field at the beginning for me was a home run. Like it, it just, it worked completely. I thought them bringing weapons at first maybe was a bit of a miss, but they used the ring. They were fighting around the ring um, and it, it hit home for me. I, I enjoyed it. It was, I, I find it interesting that the faces had weapons at the beginning and the heels didn't. That was just right. a little thing that stuck out to me when they started. Uh, but yeah, and it played into even Hangman showing up a little bit late plays into, well, maybe he's not going to show up because we know he's been having problems with, with the elite. And, and part of you did think there could be a horse, but it was delayed and they gave it to you. And I, I thought chasing Sammy Guevara back down with the golf cart again kind of hit that too many times. But the horse stuff was great. Uh, and they really did lean into comedy throughout the entire thing. I, I, again, did not totally know what to expect from this. You figure with Matt Hardy, there's going to be some shenanigans in there. Uh, but you're right. I wasn't sure which way it was going to go. And then it got clear pretty early, pretty much with the entrances, yeah. that this was going to be all out kind of hokey. And I think it worked great. I, I think it's, again, what it needed to be given the people involved and given the setting, just like I thought the same with, with Money in the Bank. And uh, yeah, I, I thought it was just really well executed. It was pretty much funny from start to finish and entertaining. And that's what I got from the Money in the Bank too. And uh, yeah, I, I, clearly there's some parts you didn't like, but generally I just had a lot of fun with it from start to finish. And I, I come out of the show feeling, you know, just kind of, uplifted because it was a, it was a long show a drag for a bit in the middle there but to end on a really good note like that it leaves me entertained it leaves a good taste in your mouth and this is now two consecutive pro wrestling pay-per-views that have done that for me at least yeah no no question about it now i i, I did want to kind of go through a little bit more of this match which is so i i was not i was down on the show overall top to bottom but this match really there was only one part that actually bothered me and i loved it popped me huge when uh, Ortiz is like screaming that he can't swim while, while Santana and Matt Hardy are in the water. Um, yeah. That popped that pop me. But it, it felt to me like they spent far too long on Ortiz, Santana, and Hardy, three people in a 10-person match. For me, they should have had like a picture-in-picture picture of like people fighting on the field and maybe, you know, Paige drinking and, and going back and forth, at least somewhere on the screen, because they spent like a good five minutes on just pure comedy with those three, where you're supposed to have this huge faction battle. It it took me out of it, and I was like, man, this is funny. Parts of this are funny, but it's also pretty stupid that they're doing this. Now, the opposite, and I think they did this in a, in a uh, successful manner, is the bar scene with Hangman, Jake Hager, and then eventually Kenny Omega. That was fantastic. It was only like two minutes as opposed to three, um, it was Hager, the best thing Hager has done, period, in AEW so far. And I loved the way they utilized the bar, they utilized Paige's drinking problem, but they also had him solidify the tag team relationship with Omega, which is kind of this on again, off again. Are they going to be good partners? Aren't they going to be good partners? And, you know, pouring Kenny milk and, and cheersing that with whiskey, that's just hysterical, you know? So the bar scene for me, just really popped me. The pool thing, I get the comedy. I laughed. I'm not saying I'm, I'm a stick in the mud, but it was just, 
arduous. And it was kind of like, all right, get back to the match. Enough of like indulging Matt Hardy. That's what, that's what it felt like. It felt like they said, hey, Matt, you got five minutes. Right. Well, that was kind of the only real Matt Hardy part of the match. And I mean, Excalibur shouting out that it must be filled with the water from the Lake and Rear Carnation. Like, right. this is great stuff to call back to. And different Matt Hardy's popping up. I thought it was hilarious. The ice stuff goes in there. Uh, yeah, I mean, they could have maybe cut it up a bit, but you're right. It did feel like, hey, Matt Hardy, here's your bit. Go do your bit. But I was fine because I it was just... Yeah, it was it was surprising. It was fun. I, I didn't know what was going to happen. And yeah, it felt like Matt Hardy got his stuff in all in one spot. But it's Matt Hardy doing Matt Hardy stuff. And that's kind of why you bring him in right now. And I, I, I was OK with it because, again, there wasn't there wasn't really a part of this match that ever felt serious. Like we didn't really right. cut away from right. something serious to get into a joke. It was generally just joke after joke after joke. So it, to me, it didn't take me out very much for that reason. It, it was just like. Five. It was like imagine if you're watching that Money in the Bank match, and they give you five minutes on Dana Brooke like slipping and falling and laying there, you know, or 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 five minutes on on Otis chowing down with Paul Heyman, and you're like, well, wait, there's ten other people in this match. Like, what the hell's going on? So all I needed because it was done because this was all you know previously taped. All I needed was a little picture in picture, and here's what else is going on. And then while you're watching this funny thing, I think that would have saved it. Now, looking at the rest of the match, the finish of the match, um, the first thing I'm kind of wondering is you and I are both huge football fans, right? This may have hit home better for us than others. I mean, I'm seeing the match getting widely praised, so I don't think anyone didn't like it. Or at least, you know, so there are wrestling purists out there who are like, I don't want this as part of my wrestling. And that's fine. I respect that opinion. I but need to know Jim Cornette's opinion. <laughs> right, right. There's, he'd probably trash. He probably will trash this. But I'm wondering if, as a football fan, like it, it, we liked it even more than some other people because the stuff that they did with Chris Jericho, um, him using the first down marker and you know uh, getting uh, run over by the line marker, the instant replay stuff with Aubrey, that entire Chris Jericho segment, I guess let's call it, which again was comedy, but it's Jericho comedy, uh, getting kicked into the field goal net. I mean, it was just great. And, you know, I, I for me, the more that they could have done with the football aspect of it, the better. And to get all of that kind of intertwining with Jericho, him throwing out some football terms while things were happening, I thought it was a really nice touch. I, I think everybody, it was... Football stuff that generally everybody understands, like, you know, a replay or a mascot or what have you. I, I, I thought the best football part of the match was Matt Jackson, Northern Light suplexing Sammy Guevara for 100, 100 yards yeah. all the way into the end zone in a spike. That was that was that was the football part that got me the most. Uh, that or the the Judas effect to Jackson Deville. The mascot. Yeah, that was funny, too. Got a pretty good when he got a pretty big target to work with. It's hard to really. Uh, botched that move and he took it well sold it well great job uh by by jacksonville i kind of wondered if someone was going to be the mascot at some point i think think it was brandon stroud wondered if cody cody rhodes was going to be in the mascot Mm. or something which would have been probably a bit too much i don't think he needed i think having the mascot and the mascot getting knocked out just added to the general humor of it all and uh yeah the football stuff was great you got to lean into that kind of stuff just like money in the bank leaned into boardroom type stuff as well. And uh, it, they, I think it all played off well. 
it would have popped me if the mascot actually, and I don't really want him on TV, but if the mascot was Tony Khan, that would have popped me. You know what so I mean? I, like, I, that would have been too much. It would have uh, been I liked, I liked it. I would have liked it, but I, I'm going to disagree with you on the golf cart stuff. Uh, I liked the callback to it. I know it was just two weeks ago, but the reason it was funny was not just because they were chasing down Sammy, but they were chasing down Sammy for the finish. They were pushing him into that end zone. They didn't, I don't think they did it on purpose. Like, I don't think that Matt Hardy and Kenny Omega were smart enough to plan a finish like that in kayfabe. But um, it, it got him to the other end of the field. So he was running, right? Uh, and the referee, I think it was Bryce, was running alongside the golf cart like a referee does when a wide, either on a kickoff return or when a wide receiver catches a long pass and is going for the end zone. So it was another like referee running down the sideline, football adjacent, you know, thing that popped me as well. But Sammy, for me, was this absolute star of the match. I think he's fantastic. He's everything that you could want in a professional wrestler. Um, he's especially a heel, you know, not just a wrestler, but a heel. He's funny. He's extremely talented in the ring. He can cut a promo. You know, he looks good. Like, you know, he, he can carry that, you know, hey, I'm, I'm a future world champion type of deal. He probably needs to get a little bit bigger. But he made the match. I mean, yeah, Matt was great. And Santana Ortiz were funny. The Jacksons, I can take him or leave him. Kenny was awesome. Don't get me wrong. Uh, and Paige was really good as well. But it, I think he's the glue. He was the glue of that entire match that, you know, allowed the comedy. The comedy almost revolved around him most of the time. Yeah, he, he can really do it all. He was great in the crowd a couple weeks ago on Dynamite. He's funny there. He's 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 got a good look. He's a high he's a high flyer, but he he's pretty big, you know, relative for his size. He's not very tall. But he's pretty buff, relatively speaking, and you don't see many guys like that doing, you know, shooting star presses or right. taking those types of bumps like that at the finish. Uh, yeah, he's a guy who can really do everything you want. Um, I just the thing with the second golf cart is to me, they they'd hit that joke with the horse and then to hit it again with the golf cart felt a, a bit uh, too many times. But I love this gimmick and I hope Sammy Guevara keeps getting chased down until the end of time because it's great stuff and and yeah he can just he can do it all he's he's good enough physically that he's a threat and he's also you know plenty funny and, and can do everything pretty much i'm usually the person who would give that take that you just did but i i just will disagree I, maybe i just liked it so much the first time that i wanted to see it again but uh just loved it and i really liked the finish there was a lot of criticism for the finish that it was such an obvious crash pad and cardboard and all that and yes it was and I don't necessarily mind, though, like when WWE, what was it? It was the Miz and someone at WrestleMania or SummerSlam a couple of years ago. Did oh, like, Miz, and Shane, Miz and Shane McMahon in New York. Shane McMahon. They did like that suplex off that yeah. high rise. Of course, there was a crash pad, right? Um, they did. Uh, I think Braun Strowman had a spot where he threw someone off uh, a baseball stadium at the Royal Rumble two years ago into a crash pad. Um there was, you know, there was a crash pad used Wednesday night on NXT when Velveteen Dream did that elbow drop. They cut it, but it was there. Uh, and there was another one recently used in WWE for a really, really big spot where they had a crash pad like that. I don't mind it because, look, in this case in particular, I don't. It was like thirty feet, the one winged angel. And if I don't, if you're going to take a one winged angel, where do you want him to take it onto? Not a table, not concrete, not grass. So if you're going to do that spot and the spot looked fantastic, well, in the future, they'll be able to show them jumping off and show them landed 
you don't have to worry about anything spraying anywhere. But but like let's not like it was a fun match. It was a funny match. I'm seeing people getting up in arms, you know, with the finish being that safe. But I don't want anyone jumping off 30 feet not safe. So, you know, I'm fine with it. I think it's interesting what they're doing with Kenny Omega a little bit where everyone thought that uh, AEW was going to basically be NJPW America. And, you know, that was the hope. It's I know what I kind of hoped it was going to be really high quality wrestling matches, like five star match shows across the board, basically what NXT is to a large degree. But instead, it's really just a different version of a WWE. And people hate to say that, but it's true because they're giving you the comedy. They're giving you the athleticism. You know, they're mixing everything together. Um, But Kenny Omega is the guy who is not playing to type for me. I expected him to be the you know best bout machine, Kenny Omega. Five five star matches once a month, definitely at every pay per view, absolutely tearing the house down. Instead, what we're getting is basically the DDT version of Kenny Omega. That's a promotion out in Japan, which is they do a lot of comedy stuff, and he's fantastic at that as well. He is legitimately funny if you've ever seen him on Being the Elite. But in this case, in a match like this, he was able to combine his incredible wrestling ability with his comedy. This spot was incredible. I thought it was the perfect way to finish the match because A, you want Kenny Omega to win. In my opinion, obviously outside of Chris Jericho, he's the biggest star in that match. You want him to get the prestige of a one, two, three. And Sammy Guevara, again, for being that that linchpin that tied the entire match together, you want him taking the fall because he got his ass kicked the entire time. You don't need Jericho losing. So I thought Kenny beating Sammy was great. I thought them doing that move was gutsy. I don't care what you're falling into. I would never do it. That was great. And I thought the Gatorade bath celebration was great as well. So going back to the finish, you're right on, on the crash, but I'm generally have no problem with crash pads in weird spots. Like, you know, it, it was in a weird spot of the stadium, kind of by the tunnel. Like, you don't know what's really there currently in an empty stadium. It's not like it was sticking out. Like, what the heck is that doing there? You just you didn't really know where you were. There was a platform. Things are up in stadiums all the time for various reasons, and you don't know, and you don't really know why. It, I thought it was fine to play out, just like when Shane McMahon and, and Miz did their thing. Oh, what's their a crash pad there? It's just a whole general. Right. Electrical area. Like, it's fine. And yeah, exactly. If you're falling 30 feet, um, you, you want it to be safe. I, sorry, I remembered the other thing that was a crash pad. Uh, Fiend Rollins, when Fiend beat him, and they took that big dive off the stage in at the Blood Money in the Sand event. And oh, I didn't actually then, watch that. Oh, and then Fiend emerged from it. Well, they took a huge, like, move into a crash pad. That was the one I was forgetting. Sorry, go ahead. Okay, yeah. And then with, with, with Kenny, I'll just say, you know, he's honestly... He has been probably the only major disappointment I've felt since AEW launched is that, you know, he's supposed to be the best wrestler in the world. And he's just kind of been all over the place. I understand, you know, you don't want to just throw the world title on him right away because you want to help some other stuff and you don't want it to just be playing to your friends. But he was doing a hardcore match off the bat with Moxley. He's been doing a lot of comedy. I know he does the BTE stuff. He, he He's doing this. Now he's a tag champ with Hangman. I actually thought that was a really good story they did with him and Hangman for a while. Yeah, but, you know, was, it was yeah. a couple couple weeks ago on Dynamite. Kenny's fighting a jobber, and the jobber's, like, getting offense in and stuff. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, yeah. It's just weird. It's like Kenny Omega's supposed to be the best wrestler in the world. Like, they have not at all built him into a star. And if you were not familiar with him, prior to AEW, he's just a guy, honestly. Well, he's not 
He's not, he's a tag team champ. He's friends with the elite, but he's not some amazing wrestler because he just hasn't been portrayed like that since, mm. since the company started. He, he has been in some multiple very good matches, but he is not portrayed as what he actually is. Right, and, right, right. And it's unfortunate that that's the case. Let's not forget, by the way, we're a year like, like, compare, like Compare that to Cody. Like Cody is built up to be a big deal every time you see him. And they just they have not at all done that with, with Kenny. They honestly, uh, they're, they're flipped. They're flipped. Uh, Kenny should be treated the way Cody is and Cody should be treated the way Kenny is. Just in, in actuality. But, but let's not forget, we're a year into AEW now. I mean, we're actually, you know, 50, uh, what is it? 17 months in from when it was first announced, but we're a year in from the first AEW pay-per-view. This was the one year anniversary, double or nothing. And what do we have? We have Jericho basically still atop the card, although he's not champion. We have Moxley who made his debut at that show. He's now champion. The second champion is still atop the card. Kenny's still not really being utilized the way that we at least feel that he should be. Um, And I think there's a lot of things that AEW kind of had promised and hasn't really delivered. They promised that the women would be up to the level of the men, both in pay and, and prestige. They're not. I love the women's match. We're going to talk about it later. Um, they talked about the tag team division being incredible and uh, well, main event pay-per-views and all that. It really hasn't. Uh, so, you know, AEW, we can maybe do, maybe on this week's show or at some point, like a, a one year in and kind of actually talk about the company, what they have delivered on, what they haven't. But Kenny Omega, for me, you're right. He is one of those disappointments because he was, it's not just that we know he's great. He was coming out of the best stretch that maybe any wrestler has ever had. The the feud with Okada, uh, the match with Tanahashi, the G1s. I mean, this guy, Best Bout Machine, it was a legitimate nickname. Like, Kenny Omega has it. He has it. And Sammy Guevara, by the way, also has it. But, but Kenny Omega has it, he is it, and yes, I do want that. As we move into 2020, the rest of the year, I want to see Kenny Omega in the main event. And, and speaking of the main event, and speaking of the AEW Championship, let's move on to the co-main, which was John Moxley defending the title against Mr. Brody Lee. Moxley defended, obviously, ultimately won the match. I enjoyed the match, Chris, um, despite it being completely outside the ring. I, I also fail to understand why that was a regular match with no stipulation, but the women's match had to be no disqualification and no count out. The only difference between the two matches that I could tell was there was a kendo stick in one and there wasn't a kendo stick in the other. But besides that, the men's match was more brutal outside the ring, many more spots. They used just as much, if not more, you know, tables and and barriers and all that type of stuff. So that just bothered me, like, from a kayfabe standpoint. It's like, why does this have to have a stipulation and this one doesn't? Yeah, I actually looked up to see if this was supposed to be no DQ because I had the exact same thought as it was going on. Uh, apparently, countouts are just not a thing, which is fine if it's normally a thing, but it's not always a thing. Um, I, I thought the match, the, the Brody Lee-Moxley match was good for what it was. I just, I just have not really been into this feud all that much Brody Lee still yeah, it's just not doing anything for me him with the dark order he's kind of like Bray Wyatt he's kind of like Vince McMahon it's just it's just hasn't been working for weeks for me so I just didn't have a ton of excitement coming into this match Moxley's in a weird spot where he needs a crowd you know when, when he's he a champ when he he's does. a champ by himself empty doing his thing 
he doesn't feel like that big of a deal, especially when we have something like the spring stampede or the stadium stampede, the the elite, the inner circle. Jericho's still the biggest star of the show, and he's not the champ anymore. And yeah. Moxie has really been hurt, I think, by not having a crowd. I've just generally kind of lost interest in what he's doing. Match was good. You know, I, I really enjoyed it. It just kind of it's kind of in one ear out the other for me. And that's kind of all it was. Uh, I thought Brody Lee kicking out at one on the on the uh, uh, on the DDT was was uh, surprising. But then Moxley didn't like sell that at all. He immediately went into to getting him. So the announcers couldn't really sell how big of a deal it was that he that he kicked out of that move and then to end with a submission where he just kind of continues to get beat up kind of weird final couple of minutes of that match but it's not a match i'm going to really think about much more after tonight yeah i do not want to think about it again after tonight now that's set now look i'm gonna i'm gonna call him out because i talked to him privately about this as well we talked during the match but jack crosby who's sometimes co-host on the show he tweeted that the match was incredible that was not an incredible match the definition of incredible does not fit that match but I'll disagree with you slightly. I was entertained by it. I thought it was a, a very good physical brawl, the type of match yeah. that, that Cody and Lance Archer should have been because of the animosity that had built up between them. That's what this match delivered. Um, it, it, it There was less storyline reason for this to be like that and more for Cody and Lance Archer to be like this, and yet it was flipped. Um, so I did like that it was a physical brawl, and I agree with you, the finish really pissed me off. So they do the, you know, paradigm shift or whatever into the entryway, which again, you know, cardboard and a crash pad. But again, I, I'm fine, I like this spot. I really fine with it. it. Yeah, it was cool. It was unexpected, right? He goes through it. But that's one paradigm shift. Then he rolls him into the ring. He hits another one and he kicks out at one after just laying motionless and bloody having taken one. Then he hits a second one and he kicks out at two. So now Brody Lee has kicked out of Two par- three paradigm shifts, basically. And he's taking punishment of, you know, throughout the entire match. And then Moxley locks him in, not even a submission, just like a chokehold around the neck. And the referee calls him completely concussed and out in less than 10 seconds. He didn't even struggle with it. Like you said, commentary didn't have time to say, oh, is this the last of Brody Lee? You know, is, is, is Moxley going to be able to keep this on? Brody's a much bigger man, so on and so forth. The ref just looked at him and called for the match. So... It, the ending was really disappointing. Um, you know, it put Brody over strong that he was able to kick out of the finishers. But I mean, look, I, I don't think that finishers should be a 100% protected that you can never kick out of them. But Brody Lee is not a monster. He's no one that has special powers. They're just basically saying he's a cult leader and a regular dude shouldn't be kicking out of three of John Moxley's finishers and then getting, you know, uh, concussed or knocked out. Concussed is the wrong word. Knocked out from a chokehold in 10 seconds. I mean... I mean, it was just way too fast. So, but that said, I think Moxley retaining was the right booking and he did look strong after taking the beating. I did like what happened outside the ring, but it just, I did like you said, and I've said on every Wednesday show that we've had every, sorry, Thursday show that we've had, uh, I have never cared about this feud. I didn't, I think it was rushed, um, didn't care about the title match. And I feel like they kind of over delivered almost in the match but they just failed on the finish. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. Actually, one more thing about the finish too, and this applies sure. to AW and WWE. I may have missed it, but when did we get rid of the referee lifts the arm and has to drop it three times? Like the way it used to be in pro wrestling. Now the, ref- yeah. now the referee just, 
either calls it or does one lift and it's done. I miss the drama of the build of the one, two, and then the, you catch your arm on the third one. Like it's a natural, like momentum storytelling point in pro wrestling. I don't know if they've wanted to make it like UFC and that's why, but it's, it's been gone for a while. I've noticed and I don't, I don't quite understand why it just seems like a natural, great thing to put in a match. And instead we just get a ref calling and it, it takes away all the, the, the momentum and energy of the finish. It's been a long time that it hasn't been there. And I 100% agree with you. You're, you're right. Not just the drama of, is he going to keep the arm up? But even the impact of the arm falling the third time, if it's a face where that happens, you're depressed. You're like, oh my God, I expected him to do yep, to, yep. to put a, put his arm up. And then if it's if it's the other way and it's a heel, it's like, wow, he really got him. He, you know, he got him out for a three count. Now you're right. They either just look at them, or sometimes they like they don't even lift the arm, but they push the arm. They're like, push it and see if it responds. Yeah. And it doesn't, they call the bell. So I'm in complete agreement. I think the reason might be all the concentration on concussions and CTE and all that, if someone loses consciousness, maybe they don't want it like, oh, they have to be out for three seconds and we're kind of playing with their dead body or something like that. Um, maybe that has to do with it. But look, I mean, look, for a while, submissions in pro, pro wrestling, you didn't even have to tap out. You just said, I give up. You would just say, I give up. Ken Shamrock yeah, comes to WWE, starts tapping out or, or making people tap out. And now, you know, Kurt Angles has people tapping out and and now you want to see the tap out, you know, that you exactly. expect that. So I think over time, especially as generations stop watching wrestling, people are going to forget about that three arm lift. But you're right, though. For me, it was part of the drama of pro wrestling. And I hate that they got rid of it. You're 100 percent right. Um, all right, let's move on. TNT championship. Uh, Cody defeats Lance Archer to be the first champion. Let's start with the belt. Uh, AEW says it is not finished yet and we'll have some gold plating or some bling added to it. Don't care. Add whatever the hell you want. That current design is so ugly that I'm going to make this statement. It is currently the worst title on any major professional wrestling organization in the United States, period. The worst. And okay, you're going to say, well, Adam, what about the WWE 24-7 title? That's a piece of crap too. You're right, it is. It's even worse looking. The difference is the 24-7 title is a joke championship, whereas the TNT title is the mid-card title for the number two organization in America. It's embarrassingly bad, especially when you compare it to the AEW world title. The women's title is also awful. That's another story. The tag team title is okay. Um, but this one is embarrassingly bad. I don't care whatever how they spruce it up. It's not going to be good enough. Yeah, I, I'm very confused by it, considering how much, like, energy they clearly put into the world championship and i'm not a fan of the women's championship i think it's too small but it's another belt you could tell that there was a lot of like effort put into it this belt looks like a toy it looks it looks just as cheap as the 24 7 championship and you're right it is a joke championship i'm i'm just very confused by it just based on their previous track record with with titles and i actually i'd actually really like the tag team belts uh, that they have i generally like all the belts they have, I just think the women's needs to be bigger, but <laughs> the women's very, needs to be twice its size. <laughs> yeah. Very, very strange to see this belt. We'll see what it looks like later, but you need a whole new plate in the front. It's, I mean, t the TNT logo is very, very plain. It's a I mean, sand, it's this, a sand Sarah font in a circle. Like you, you, you got to spruce it up. The side plates are Ted Turner's mansion. Like I get it. And I know Cody's story about Ted Turner's mansion. And like, I, I, I understand 
but this is still an AEW title. So, I mean, I would have rather been like, like think about the old WCW TV title, like even just something yes. like that. It should, it should look like a mid-card title, not a piece of garbage. And, and and look, WWE had the red universal title already. I'm not saying that they're copying this because it's TNT. It's red. I get it. But that was panned. <laughs> so now you're just going to bring one in. Yeah, and- I was very surprised because the, the whole like universal belt got booed during a match for being a weird red color. It's kind of yeah. weird that they would go with red here. Yeah. Anyway, anyway uh, TNT championship. Pocket zero. All right, let's move on. Let's talk about this match. Uh, it was a good idea making it a brawl. And I do want to quicken up here because we have been talking for a while already. Good idea making it a brawl. Uh, it's what the feud's big match should be. But like I said, it should have been much more like the Moxley, Arch- um, Moxley uh, Brody Lee match. This one was slow, plodding. There was no energy or juice to it. Uh, you know, the fun spot with the DDT in front of Jake and the spine buster in front of Arn. And then Cody hit the stinger splash because everyone's talking about, hey, maybe Sting will show up. That was cool. Um, But the finish of the match was more about what was happening outside the ring than what happened inside of it. Cody's not my favorite wrestler, but a lot of his matches have been pretty decent recently. This one wasn't. And I felt they underutilized Mike Tyson. So this was just a failure to me. I I thought it was fine. I I, I thought I enjoyed it. I Jake the Snake is still just the best. I love the 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 the, the promo with Arn during the week. I love he, he tells one of the you like wait wait, wait you like that you like that Wednesday? Yeah, I liked it. All right. I hated it. I, yeah. I see. I didn't. I actually didn't. I was listening to Wednesday's episode or Thursday's episode. I didn't finish it. I was curious what she thought. I liked it. I, I I just I really liked it. Jake's great. Arn was good, and in this as well, I love Jake the Snake saying to someone in the crowd, "He just punked you, bitch." <laughs> After Land Charger did something, he just adds a lot to it. And I thought you're right that they could have done more with Mike Tyson, but I liked him stepping up to Jake when Jake was going to come back in. It kind of reminded me of him, him being the guest enforcer back at back at uh, mm-hmm. WrestleMania 14. I, I the, the ending was a bit convoluted again to kind of play off a bunch of stuff going outside, but that's just that kind of what Cody stuff is. It's WWE finishers. It, it's kind of what he's always. A lot of what he's done in AEW is is either old school wrestling or WWE style stuff it's, it's not always necessarily like a like a sporting event type match so it was kind of what i expected it being a, a cody match and i thought it was i thought it was pretty good i thought I, I enjoyed it chris is out here trying to jack my gimmick dropping convoluted mid-episode uh <laughs> i um what's it called you know there were there were some minor positives to it I'm not gonna really go into it but uh what i will say is that they promoted on dynamite Ten times, Mike Tyson is going to get physically involved. He's going to knock someone out, and nothing happened. So you know, promise it. it was don't, deli- don't deliver it. I mean, I don't think anyone bought the pay per view for Mike Tyson, but still, I mean, if he's going to be there, Tyson's going to be there. Have him punch someone. Even maybe not Jake, but you f- find someone for Tyson to punch. Okay, I'm That's sure it. Sammy Guevara could have. <laughs> sure, right. Yeah. Have him show up on the field and punch Sammy at the end. Uh, women's championship surprise for me: Hikaru Shida defeating Nyla Rose. To win the women's title, you know, I got to say, man, Nyla Rose received a lot of criticism at the start of AEW, and I think it was deserved. She was green. I didn't think she was very good. Her last two big-time matches against Rio and Hikaru Shida were both really good. I think she deserves credit for vastly improving. Obviously, credit to Shida and Rio for, you know, being in those matches and helping Nyla Rose look great. Um, But she deserves credit. Uh, I was highly entertained by this match. Uh, at this point in the show, 
And really, up until the stadium stampede, so up until the main event, this was for me a top two match on the entire show. Better than the AEW title match, better than the TNT championship match. Rose took an absolute beating with some of those kendo stick shots. I think she took one to the side of the face like Tommy Boy did in uh, Prehistoric Forest, you know, with that piece of wood from the sign. Uh, I didn't think she needed to lose the title necessarily because she kind of just won it. But I have to give AEW respect for going with the hot hand. I always find that commendable in a booking situation where someone gets really hot and Sheeta is, you know, maybe outside of Becky Lynch, who's now not, you know, around, maybe the hottest women's wrestler in terms of she has the most momentum. I'm not saying she's the most popular. She's not a bigger star than the women in WWE, but she's a lot of momentum and she's been having some incredible matches recently. So for AEW to say, you know what, we're just going to go with her. That's great. I mean, WWE, we talk about it. It's something, a lesson they can learn. Two years ago when Strowman was in that feud with Reigns and he was getting massive pops, they should have put the title on him then. Doesn't mean he, he was ready for it or he would have been good with it, but they should have done it. When Rusev Day was popping, he should have been a mid-card champion at a minimum, right? You have to, when you see stuff like this happen organically, you have to go with it. And I think that's what AEW did here. Only other thing I'm going to say before I let you talk about this is major shout out to Jim Ross for a Sadaharu O reference, uh, you know, with the kendo stick shot. For anyone that doesn't know, Japanese baseball player, like almost 900 home runs in his career. Uh, just the fact that he shoved that in there, he's a huge sports fan, popped me. Um, anyway, love the match, love the commentary on the match. Just not a five-star match, but I mean, four-star match, really, really entertaining. First thing I'm going to say is all, a lot of those points you just made about Hakoshida and going with the momentum, it's exactly what I said about Otis winning the money in the bank. I'm just going to leave that there. We don't oh, need to get back into on, it. Man. He's a guy who has momentum Jeez. and they put they put something on him. I'm just saying it's pretty similar. But you're right. This to me was, <laughs> this was my match of the night until the end. This was a really good match. And I, yeah, Nyla Rose got a lot of criticism at the beginning, but she is, she is getting better and better every time. She's legit. Yeah. She is really good. And she, I mean, obviously she's naturally the, the big monster because she's so much bigger than everybody else in the women's right. division. But it, to me, she doesn't lose anything by losing this because she just naturally feels like the champion because she's bigger, stronger than everybody else there. Uh, she, she can afford to not have the belt and, and be fine. To, she, she, you know, her car, she just great. We know that, but Nyla Rose looked damn good in this match. And I, I think she continues to have a great future and AEW, that women's division, they need to build some stars. I think they already basically have one with Nyla Rose and Hikaru Shida potentially could, could get pushed up into that that's uh, that spot now, especially with the Britt Baker injury. Um, they need some more people up there, and I, th I think this could be uh, a way to continue to do that. I really, really, really like that match. Yeah, I mean, the women's division does have a long way to go, but honestly, the Nyla Rose-Rio uh, match and this match with Shida, really good. Straight up. So, I mean, I'll criticize the division and I have no problems doing that. But when push comes to shove and you need a big match, it's working. And like, you, like, look, I hate to make the obvious comparison. Okay. I really do. But I would take like 50% of Nyla Rose over a 100% Nia Jax. I wouldn't like, I wouldn't even think twice about it. That's how much better she is at so many little things. I don't mm -hmm. think she's great on promo necessarily, but she's better. She's better in the ring. She's safer in the ring. Um, and I actually care to watch her. And, and and she puts herself on the line. Like she never shies away from anything. So 
look, just a lot of credit to Nyla Rose. I think she deserves it, and I thought this was a really good match. Uh, casino ladder match. Um, so this opened the show. I hated it. Just straight up, I hated it. I thought it was the worst multi-man ladder match probably that I've ever seen that I can remember. I may be forgetting one. Uh, the women's match in NXT recently was not good either. So if you're going to compare it to that, but if for a men's match at least, hated it. Uh, the rules of a staggered entry for a ladder match, they make no sense because that would be completely unfair to people that are early. They would have much one and two opportunity to get a ladder and climb really quickly. Granted, they're fresher. Um, but And then at the end, the last person, everyone else has a ship beat out of them. They pop in and just go you know, straight up and win. And that's actually what ended up happening in the match. Um, there were multiple constant botches and screw-ups. I found it boring overall, clunky from a booking standpoint. There were, I mentioned earlier, in the stadium stampede match, some of the humor they did that was legitimately funny and well-timed and well-placed. Mid-match, they did the Orange Cassidy and Marco stunt chokeslams. It was stupid. It was borderline insulting, especially at the open of a show like this. Uh, I told you already on Wednesday show, I'm, uh, Marco stunts growing on me, but I don't want him in the ring. I don't want him in the ring as much as we're seeing him. It's just, you have to suspend the disbelief for him. It's a little too much for me for him to always be there. Um, and I even felt, we'll talk about the mystery uh, surprise maybe next, but before we get to that, I even felt a few of the big spots in the match fell flat. Not having Phoenix probably hurt in that regard, uh, but they still had Joey Janela and Darby Allen. And yes, they each kind of did one big thing, but neither of them to me were particularly great. I mean, Darby jumping on, jumping onto a skateboard, onto a ladder and not even hitting the person. Cool. I mean, it's risky. I know it's risky. I respect them. Uh, didn't do anything for me, really. And just the match completely bored me to death. Yeah, it just it never clicked. I get the continuing the casino theme, like the battle royals for the staggered stuff, but it it just it didn't it didn't work for me. Uh, it felt like those battle royals, which have never been very good since AEW started, they just haven't really found a good recipe that works. It did. It it was just kind of all over the place. I thought I thought the highlight was honestly Orange Cassidy being pretty funny asking how you win the match, not knowing how to open up a ladder and just kind of doing his, his stick. Right. It was pretty funny. Uh, other than that, it was pretty forgettable. There was way too much interference in this match. You had at least three people who were not in the match. You had Marco stunt, you had Jimmy havoc, you had Penelope. It just, it was already a kind of mess of a match. And it just added more into like Jim Ross had to like explain, Hey, Jimmy havoc's not in this match, by the way. He's just there participating and, in the match. Apparently. And he's like, you know, the smart, he's like the smart wrestlers use the no rules to their advantage, which is such a WWE trope that heels are smart and faces are stupid. Yeah. And, 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 and they showed it multiple times in this match. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. And, 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 and yeah, it was just kind of just weird. Uh, I'll let you, you know, bring up the, the, the surprise. Oh yeah. No, I mean, so, I mean, you could have, but uh, Brian Cage, shows up as the mystery entrant. And, you know, he's a big name, certainly on the in- independents, and people like him a lot. I think he is incredibly talented for someone his size, no question. And his size and the way he looks is a debate for another time. Um, but I think his debut, had it been in front of a regular AEW crowd, would have got a great reaction. It's a crowd filled with smarts. They know him from the indie scene. 
I mean, he's who I predicted to be the mystery opponent. I don't, not that I'm not saying that for me, that was like some genius prediction. I think he was the odds on favorite to be the mystery guy. Um, but outside of the gimmicked torn ladder upon his entrance, which I thought was eye rollingly stupid, I felt I liked it. Was- I, 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 I liked the, the torn ladder. That was, I was like, whoa, hey, because I don't know a ton about him. That it was, I mean, it was clearly gimmicked. It was like, I hey, know it was gimmicked, but it yeah. was, I still thought it was a cool image. Okay, that's fine. Um, I just felt that there was no significance to him at any time. I thought it was also questionable to put him over right away because he's his first his debut is in a ladder match, which there's not really a loser in a ladder match. There's just the winner. So anyone can win. And you don't think that, hey, Brian Cage lost his debut. It's not a one on one. So I thought it was questionable to take this guy who you know, is is just, he looks like a monster, yes, but he doesn't necessarily have, he didn't do anything during the match to make you say, oh my God, I gotta see this guy. Uh, they put him over right away and now he's the number one contender, basically, uh, for the AEW championship. So Mox has to go against him. So unless you're gonna put the title on Brian Cage, which I really don't think they're gonna do, then you're gonna have Mox beat him anyway. I would have much rathered him be in the match, have a great showing, Darby Allen like run up his back and steal the chip or something like that. And then you have Brian Cage be like the challenger to Cody and take the TNT title off Cody in like two weeks time. And now he's a monster, he has the title. And he also has Taz by his side as coach slash manager slash we don't know what they're gonna call it, which I don't mind on its own, Chris, but it's really starting to get tired now in AEW. You have Jake Roberts and Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard and now Taz. And it's just, I mean, what are they going to do? Get Jerry Lynn out? Are they going to have Billy Gunn manage someone next? It's a lot. It's repetitive. Jake is the only one out of anyone so far who really stands out. Taz, I certainly believe will because he's that talented. But it's a crutch. I just, I was not impressed with the debut. Um, I don't know. I Like I said, I think it would have popped a crowd, but it didn't pop me. Everything about Brian Cage tonight felt off and strange. Taz is with him, but we don't know why. And although Taz is in his intro music and throughout the whole match, Jim Ross or the commentary saying, we don't really know why Taz is with him. And they just keep asking that question. And why not have Taz jump on commentary for five minutes and explain even later in the show? Even yeah, later in just the show, to yeah. explain what he's doing. And and then they, they they buried Cage under the chairs and the giant poker chip. Like for a guy who's supposed to make a big entrance and debut and in first impression, he spent a lot of time just buried under equipment. Like they, they did not. This was not a setup to make him look good or highlight most right. of his attributes. I thought the, the the one-on-one with Luchasaurus was pretty good. And I know he threw Darby Allen with the ladder overboard, but that was it for a guy to get a number one contendership. Like you kind of want to make an impact. Right. And there, there was not much of any impact here. Right. Like if he had, if he had, and, and, you know, we'll, we'll try to wrap this up really quick, but if he had like ripped the ladder, you know, which I think was stupid, but whatever, gone to the ring, there were three people on the ladder, tipped it over, knocked everyone off taken a ladder, thrown it outside the ring, knocked down three people. Luchasaurus comes in, they fight a little bit. He beats Luchasaurus. You know, a couple other people attack him, get him outside, there's some rumbling. He, you know, maybe he's down for two or three minutes. 
But then he gets back in the ring, like throws someone off another ladder, climbs and takes the chip all in like a six minute span. Then you're like, whoa. Yeah. And I still don't think I would have liked it. But whoa, like, okay, they're they're having this guy be dominant. But you're right. It was very and I hate to say it. It's like the third time I've said it. It was very WWE where they're like, we're going to put this guy over, but he's not going to look too strong. You know what I mean? And that's what it felt like. It just, he didn't have the impact. Um, and I also felt bad for him because he's making his AEW debut. He had a sty or something in his eye. It was like half closed the entire time. I don't know what he did, but it was just, yeah, it just didn't hit home for me at all. And uh, when you make, when you do a debut like that, you kind of wanted to. I did think it was a nice touch though that, you know, again, a year event wise from Moxley's debut, you have Cage and I'm glad he's healthy and, and able to go. He apparently had signed with AEW a while back, but was immediately hurt like right after that. So it's good to see him. Uh, three more matches here. We'll get the hell out of here. MJF Jungle Boy uh, beat him via pinfall. For me, you know, this this match got a lot of praise um, and I'm not disagreeing with it, but the first half of it was strange to me. It was really boring to the point where it couldn't even hold my attention. But once they each injured each other, and they started going old school wrestling where both were selling injuries and the action started picking up over the latter half of the match. MJF did such a damn good job sucking me in and kind of making me want to see him get his ass kicked, even though I'm indifferent about him and I try to be unbiased. I try not to be a fan, you know, where you root for one person or the other. There are people I like. I mean, we talk about it all the time, wrestlers that we favor. Him, I'm, I'm indifferent about. Um, but I wanted to see this guy get his ass kicked. And he does all the little things right to make that happen. So I, I liked that. I thought Jungle Boy, again, first half, meh. Second half of the match, really, really solid. Uh, and ultimately, Chris, MJF winning was, for me, the right booking. I probably would have preferred him hitting a finisher to keep him super strong, considering everything else he's done to this point. But I'm not going to really argue it was a unique pinning combination. He trapped him. And, you know, Jungle Boy certainly did not need to win that match. Really good match. Way too long. Did did not need to. You could cut at least five minutes off that match. Yes. Um, But other than that, I mean, I thought it was a good match. MJF. I mean, MJF is a star. I felt he's a star since first saw him. And even before AEW, guy just can do it all and. Not much to add to this other than I kind of like a, a heel winning in kind of a in a, a surprise roll up counter type of thing. Like because normally a, a face will do something like that to sneak out with a victory. You don't often have a heel do that without some sort of interference. You don't or holding the, the rope. Or yeah, 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 yeah. You don't often see the heel yeah. just kind of be smart and sneaky. And again, I, I I love when a heel you know looks good, and that's exactly what that was. He got the better of Jungle Boy, and I you know, moves him forward and, and, and on we go. Yeah, I like heels winning clean. It just doesn't happen enough. So to see MJF do that uh, was great. But you're right. Take five minutes off this match. Give three to the other women's match for the title and give two to Chris Statlander against Penelope Ford, which for me was the surprise match of the night. And I'm not saying it was incredible or special in any way, but I just really enjoyed it. You know, uh, in the early part of the show through the first like four or five matches, it was my second favorite match. Like at the midway point, Statlander continues to improve. Ford is always more impressive than I expect her to be, even though I expect her to surprise me. Uh, I just wish it went longer. 
And the, t- you took some time off of that match and the Casino Battle Royal. The Casino, not Battle Royal, the ladder match. That thing could have been like 10 minutes shorter. MJF Jungle Boy could have been five minutes shorter. And either add it to the women's matches or just let me you know, finish the pay-per-view at a normal time. And... I don't know how much we need to get into it. And you can probably just cut the Sean Spears, Dustin Rhodes thing in terms of saving time. Uh, but th- th- this other women's match, you know, the Chris Statlander alien thing just kind of doesn't work for me. I I'm just kind of don't really get it. I know this was a kind of last second thing because of Britt Baker's injury. So you kind of had to, to work with it. So it, it was what it was. It was a good match. Um, you know, there wasn't much to it because of the late change and everything. I get it was a change of plans. I like that Paul Driver finish, though. Uh, that Chris Statlander does, but yeah. um, you know, it, it was what it was. No, you're right. Dustin Rhodes and Sean Spears was just a total dud, completely worthless. Don't want to see either of them on a pay-per-view. Uh, I don't know if they do pay-per-view checks or something in AEW and they just wanted to give them money, but just bad. Uh, and the, the you know buy-in match, you know, I had Roku and I was using BR Live, so I actually missed the first half of it because the system didn't work, apparently, for a lot of people. Uh, you know, yeah, it was fine. I, I had the same problem. It was fine. I've mentioned many times, best friends. I don't particularly think, I don't care about them. Uh, Private party, I do. And I think they should be getting pushed and they lost the match clean. So, I mean, just a big shrug for me. But let's wrap this up. Um, Let's grade the show. Uh, You know, I I don't normally do like MVPs or anything like that, but I am kind of curious. What was your match of the night? What was your, who was your MVP? And then after that, we'll give our grades. Match of the night is Stadium Stampede, I guess, if we're, we're going to count that. And MVP yeah, is uh, Sammy Guevara for yep. being involved in almost every major spot in that match that's memorable. The, the horse, the, the 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 finish, the Northern Light suplexes. Um, he was everywhere. I, I think he's my MVP, and, and, and that was my match of the night. Yeah, agree completely with both. I just Tonight, I already knew Sammy was great, and I have mentioned previously that Jericho having Sammy under his wing is the best case scenario for Sammy. And it's helping Jericho too, because it gives him some, someone younger to play off. Uh, but it really, he really shined tonight. And I think that AEW, I, it seems like they know what they have with him, but I really hope that in a year's time, we're talking about someone who's at least TNT champion and has maybe got at least an opportunity at the AEW world title. So huge fan of Sammy Guevara. Um, I, I would also put Nyla Rosa as like a, a second Second, uh, second, sure. MVP. I thought she yeah. was uh, very good as well. She gets, she gets a lot of credit as well. I totally agree with that. Uh, grade for the show. I'll let you go first here. Overall grade, um, not so much, you know, value for your money or any of that, but you know, we, we grade these pay-per-views, um, based on match quality, storyline, whatever the case, however you want to grade it. What do you have for this? I'm giving it a, a B plus. I'm kind of in that B, B plus range. The, the, the stadium stampede really is what carried that forward. If not for that, this would have been, I think, much lower. It was too long. You could have cut a lot of stuff, but it ended on a good note. So I'm kind of in that BB plus range. I, I guess I'll I guess I'll go with the B plus. Yeah, see, uh, it's tough for me because I want to give the show a B, but I don't feel like it deserves it. Right. Like the stadium stampede. Is it the tide that lifted all boats? Is it fair to say that? I look at the matches and just real quick kind of scrolling through one, two, three of them were D's to F's for me. Uh, I had a couple B's and a C. So, and then I get an A. I'm going to get, you know, I give the main event an A straight flat. 
So I don't think that A kind of takes everything up enough. So let's just go with a B minus. We'll keep it in the B range and we'll say this was a good show. Uh, you know, the question I asked Wednesday was, you know, will this be worth $50? And if you told if you said to me the last match on the card was John Moxley and Brody Lee, and even if you had thrown in a tag team title match with Santana and Ortiz against uh, Omega and Page, let's say, that would not have been worth $50 at all. But to be able to watch the Stadium Stampede live and experience it with everyone and just see the uniqueness of it, yeah, I, um, I, I'll give it a B, B minus and I'll say that it was worth the $50 price of admission. Now, the one thing we forgot to do that we mentioned we were going to do early when we were talking to the Stadium Stampede yeah, is we're going to, yeah, I forgot. We were going to rank it. this too. Yeah, yeah, we were going to yeah. rank it up among the theatrical matches. So these are the matches I think that are up for grabs, okay? Um, Boneyard match, Firefly Funhouse match. We, we can even say the Edge Orton fight, okay? Um, I, don't, I, I wouldn't. I mean, I wouldn't count that. that there? I, okay, I wouldn't count it. I'm going to put it last anyway. But I, right, I wouldn't. I wouldn't count that. Let's take that out. Let's take that out. The the other ones I mentioned: the Money in the Bank match, um, and I don't know if you saw it. I hope you did. The Tommaso Ciampa Johnny Gargano um, match. So, and then this one. So this is how this is the group. So I want you to rank them in order. If you didn't see Gargano Ciampa, just leave it off. I did not see Gargano Champ. Actually. That's a shame. I know I should have. I just kind of slipped my mind. I yeah. missed it and then never went back. Um, I'm going to go number one, Firefly Funhouse. Number two, Stadium Stampede. Very close third, Money in the Bank. And number four, Boneyard Match. Really wow. liked all of them, though. I, I really think in this time, we can be wrestling can be doing more of these kinds of things. They have the time and, and the ability to do so. And all four have the four that I've seen have all been very good. I got to put Firefly Funhouse at number one. Obviously, it was a little bit different. It wasn't really a match, but I, I, I really appreciate everything that went into it. Yeah. You know, if you're judging purely based on like reaction. So when you're watching it, how did you feel? Then Firefly Funhouse for me would also be number one. Because when I was watching that, like my jaw dropped and I just yeah. couldn't I couldn't believe what they were doing. And how good it was simultaneously. But um, because it wasn't an actual match, you know, in really any respect, um, I will flip that and also be different from you. I will put Boneyard 1. I will put Stadium Stampede 2. I will put Firefly Funhouse 3, Champa Gargano 4, and Money in the Bank 5, if we're going in that order. But I really, I think depending on your evaluation criteria, uh, but uh, either Boneyard or Firefly Funhouse is your one. And I accept yours completely. And I think, yes, Stadium Stampede is your, at best, T2. Like I would tie it with Boneyard or I would maybe tie it with Firefly Funhouse. But it is in that upper echelon. Um, and I think it was clearly better than Money in the Bank. I mean, Money in the Bank, you know, we don't need to relitigate it, but... I, ju I just need to know... This what this was, was so what was so different about this one compared to the other one because this one was all comedy and you were not happy with the comedy of Money in the Bank because Money in the Bank has history behind it and it is supposed to be serious for and the, and there's a prize the prize for Money in the Bank is the ability now we didn't know for Oscar she ended up being champion but the ability to cash in this briefcase at any time to be world champion 
heavyweight champion, which or women's champion, which still means something. It's significant. So when you have people getting distracted by Paul Heyman at a buffet and having a food fight, or when you have Doink popping up out of nowhere, which not bad, you know, like that's somewhat acceptable. But Otis getting distracted by the cafeteria. Um, I guess Dana, uh, whoever it was slipping and falling was uh, Carmella, uh, Dana Brooks slipping and falling was okay. But Carmella, whoever it was, I'm forgetting now, Dana Brooke, I think, thinking that the money yeah. briefcase in the, in the conference room was the right one. People not realizing that they should be r- running to the roof. There, there were so many things in that match that if you were smart at all as a wrestler, you would not have gotten involved in because there was something serious on the line. The stadium stampede match, there was nothing on the line except, you know, pride or whatever's on the line in a normal match standing inside the company. And and the other thing is the comedy in the stadium stampede match was funny and it worked. It made me laugh. I enjoyed it. Whereas the comedy in the Money in the Bank match was eye rolling most of the time. There were the Vince McMahon stuff was funny. There were Asuka uh, and the elevator and jumping off. That was funny. There were other things that were good, too. But. But you, when, when there's a match with stakes on the line, that match needs to deliver. It's one of the reasons why I think the casino ba- uh, ladder match sucked. It's because the, how many opportunities did they actually make it going after the chip? Not many. The whole point is to get the prize. So Money in the Bank, they should have all, it should have been a race to the top. And most of it should have taken place in the floor below the roof, which they could have chosen any floor for that to happen. Um, there should have been fights on the stairs with people pulling each other down, hitting the emergency button in an elevator so it wouldn't go up. There are so many things they could have done in that match to make it actually matter when you're trying to go after this grand prize. Instead, it was all tongue in cheek and jokey, but it was for something serious. As I said, I'm not going to repeat myself again. Stadium Stampede was funny for a reason because they knew, hey, if we're going to do this in a completely serious manner, it's really not going to go over. They made it work. So so that's the difference for me, and I hope that makes sense now that I've explained. I I I, I just I disagree. To me, they're they're very. I don't need to go into the whole thing, but they're just they're very similar. To me, the matches were just very similar in how they played out, and they played off a lot of old wrestling history and kind of went into things. And I was just my eyes were glued. I wasn't on Twitter as a second screen. I was just paying attention to what was happening the whole time. Both of them had me absolutely captivated. The Money in the Bank, I know it's got history, but it's also, you got to carry a briefcase around that's often, like, colored. It's not, like, some prestigious thing as much as a championship belt to me. I get what you're saying. I just disagree with it. You're employed employed to be a wrestler. You're employed to win a championship. You make more money as a champion. I'm not saying it needs, I'm not saying that, I don't want everyone to think like I'm being a stick in the mud that everything in wrestling needs to be serious. It doesn't. I love the, the stadium stampede match, but when when the entirety of the point of a match is for a, a big prize, then that prize should be what fuels the match. I'm also not trying to come across that I think Money in the Bank was the worst thing that WWE's ever done, or even close no. to. I was entertained by it. Yeah. There were par- there were parts of it I enjoyed. Don't I mean it blew the the Edge Orton match, you know, Street Fight out of out of the water, um, whatever that was called. I, I don't even remember. So I didn't hate it, but you're talking about meeting, exceeding, or falling below expectations. And the Boneyard match, the Stadium Stampede match, and the Firefly Funhouse match all exceeded expectations. The Gargano-Champa match kind of met them because I didn't think it was going to be that good ultimately. 
Uh, and the money in the bank, I thought they had such potential and they just really failed there. So that, when we're comparing them, that's kind of, that's my take on it. But uh, we have spoken at extreme length about AEW double or nothing. Thank you everyone for listening to our instant analysis of the AEW pay-per-view. For potential first-time listeners, we do instant analysis after every major pay-per-view. We also do shows on Tuesday covering everything that goes down on WWE SmackDown and Raw, and Thursday covering everything that happens on AEW and NXT. We also sometimes have special interview episodes, and if you want to look back in our archives right now, I have a double interview episode with Drew McIntyre and Aleister Black that I sincerely suggest everyone listen to. I also recently had a great interview with Rhea Ripley that I hope everyone checks out as well. But that's it for tonight. We got to get out of here. Follow Chris on Twitter at Chris Benini. You can follow me at Silverstein Adam. Follow the show, please. More important even than following us at Getting Overcast. Be sure to retweet the show when you see it or when you're done listening. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to fine audio. Drop those five-star ratings and reviews. Okay, enough of this. Time to go to sleep. I will see you Tuesday. Just three words for you. Bye for now.